Good day there guys and welcome back to Blowing Cartridges Podcast and I am one of your lovely co-hosts Zach Clark and as always joined by my fellow friend, gamer and uh, thought provoker Brendan Tam. Brendan, how are you doing on this fine evening? Going well, thanks Zach. I am ready to provoke many thoughts tonight. I think this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, no, it always, always is. Uh, And... We find ourselves, I mean, this is probably like a, a broken record, you know, back in lockdown. Well, maybe not you, Brendan, but I certainly am here in Melbourne. Um, and definitely a theme, I think, of a lot of people's lockdowns has been either if they aren't gamers, getting back into games or potentially getting into games for the first time or, you know, introducing people they live with into gaming uh, as you have not a lot else you can do in, in, in these restrictions. Uh, and it got us thinking a little bit about, you know, is there a game for every type of person that exists because, you know, from our own experiences and experiences we've seen online, you certainly see a lot more people trying to get others to participate in this hobby, uh, whether out of trying to help them find something to do because they're bored or whether you're just trying to share your your love of of video games with someone else in your life. Uh, And it's not always so easy to do. Well, exactly, Zach, because... Gaming is one of those things that us as enthusiasts, we like to think that, well, it's for everyone. There's so many different ca- games, there's so many different genres, that surely there's a game for every occasion. But now that we're not children anymore, we're not teenagers, you always come across people that are outside your traditional friendship group. So you encounter people that may have not ever played a game in their life, may have never really delved into gaming when they were younger, you encounter people that might be a bit older than you, that gaming wasn't really a thing when they were growing up or they were into sports and it wasn't a particular thing on their agenda. There's a whole cavalcade of reasons that people haven't necessarily been exposed to gaming or they have and they they believe they, they've outgrown it. But I think you're exactly right that this past 12 months, well now more than 12 months now unfortunately, have proven that it is a very accessible field. It's a, it's a very open field. And yes, we can always talk about the Wii generation and accessibility and that sort of thing. But I think the topic is a lot deeper than that. I think at its core, there are elements of gaming, elements of play in general that they go beyond gaming. People like to play. People like to just have fun with other people. And it doesn't always have to be a video game. But I think video games are very well equipped to bridging that divide and getting people to spend time together with each other, which I think ultimately it's that multiplayer aspect of gaming that increases its accessibility beyond, I guess, your traditional gaming demographic, if we want to put it that way. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, this year or, you know, whatever, last couple of years, uh, COVID years, have definitely given rise or strengthening of the the world of uh, online games, uh, to say the least, in particular those fun, casual, easy-to-pick-up-and-play games that you can sort of try and share with a pretty wide spectrum of people. Um, Obviously, you know, there's the mainstays that existed pre this COVID world, like, you know, your uh, uh, Jackbox games, which which have been a a fun party game for a large swath of people for for a number of years now. I think Jackbox 8 coming out in a few weeks, so I guess eight years uh, is probably my guess, given they do one a year, roughly. And, uh, but that's not it. I remember very early on, you know, in the COVID, uh, like March, April of 2020, there was an app called House Party that may have existed beforehand, but certainly was getting a lot of, um, 
lot of traction yeah. uh, with you know, and that kind of thing. I don't know. Did you did you give House Party a shot? I, I didn't actually ever ever give it a crack. I downloaded it, and I believe there was one night where I logged on, and a friend of mine had it going, and I never really understood the appeal of House Party, and it was one of those things that very much fizzled very quickly for memory. It was, it seemed to have been very big for about a month or two, and then you never heard about it again, and that's probably a good thing. Though I do, I do recall there was weird conspiracy theories about how it managed data and. There was some, like, malware attached to it, or I can't entirely remember the specifics around it, but I do remember there were some interesting aspects to that whole, I guess, flash-in-a-pan fad that was House Party. Yeah, no, I I vaguely remember that, and again, thank... Well, it sounds like it was a good thing that it sort of died quickly and uh, left room for other big games. You know, as we said, Jackbox Among Us was big last year, still semi-big today. You can't go past Animal Crossing. No, Animal Crossing, of course, was massive. Uh, Four Guys had its um, time in the sun and uh, maybe it hasn't fallen, <laughs> to excuse the pun, but definitely not not quite as hot to trot as it was in those first couple months. But regardless of that, I'm curious to hear your experiences on whether you did try to play some of these games outside of what you'd call your normal, typical gamer group of friends. So, you know, not your former Aussie Nintendo and other castle friends or, or you know, your, your mates from high school who you played, you know, Halo with all the time. But, like, anyone that you might have tried to bring into the fold and say, hey, we can't hang out at a, you know, whatever we normally would do in, in real life just to chat. Let's try this virtual thing. Uh, it'll be fun. Let's give it a crack. Did you did you have any experiences like that recently or in the last couple of years or ever, really? Yeah, so the main experiences I have had with that have been through things like Jackbox. I think that's a really big one. More so before COVID, when I was living in Scotland and made a lot of new friends, there were some that were gamers and there was a lot that weren't really gamers. And Jackbox was one that we all enjoyed. It's a very easy one to pick up and learn. You play through your phone so and everyone our generation has a phone. So that gets rid of a barrier and it's just always a lot of fun. And it's a good way to spend time together with each other. So that's one that's really accessible. Like accessibility is at the heart of that game. Like that's clearly the formula they cracked and the formula they've been able to sell what now seven. Well, now as of a couple of weeks time, as you just uh, hinted towards, they've been able to sell eight game packs over eight years with similar formulas. Yes, all the games are different, but that core experience, those core, I guess, mechanics around jackbox have remained the same it's all about make crafting something that anyone can enjoy you don't have to be a gamer it's not about how quick your inputs are it's not about how good your dexterity is with a gaming controller it's just it's often about your intergroup dynamics there's always a lot of in jokes with a lot of those mini games they create through that it's it is a video game but in many ways it wouldn't have to be a video game like a lot of the Mini games in Jackbox would work as board games, for example. A lot of some of them are blatant ripoffs of board games or pen and paper activities or the like. So, I think that's how they've been able to craft that formula to get a wider audience, to be able to break through barriers and appeal to gamers and non-gamers alike. And I guess moving on to another game that I've always found accessible. Before, I'm sure you have a lot to say about Jackbox, but another game that I've always found. Mm is very easy to plug in and play with other people, is Mario Party. I think Mario Party is also that quintessential experience, which, yes, it's a much more of a 
video game than Jackbox is. There's imports. There's you do need to know how to use a controller for a lot of the mini games, but particularly the more recent ones like on the Wii and even on the, and on the um, Super Mario Party on the Switch, a lot of them are do cater to more non-gamers because it's using a Wii Motor or a Joy-Con, which well generally has easy to understand inputs and it's generally waving things around or pressing a couple of buttons and it's in a Monopoly board game style so people can generally understand what's going on when you roll dice and yes, you might not be particularly good at the mini games, but you can still you can win a game of Mario Party without winning the minigames. So, and you can conversely lose a game of Mario Party while winning all the minigames. So I think that helps the accessibility that you don't necessarily have to be a pro elite gamer to enjoy it. And just because you are a pro elite gamer doesn't mean you're going to win, which I think levels of playing field sufficiently to ensure everyone enjoys it. The same with Mario Party, that element of randomness, uh, and it's, it's not like it's rubber banding, it's literally just like, you know, in the last five seconds of the game, uh, bonus stars can come in and just completely shake it up, for example, is really important, because, you know, you can have someone who feels like they're losing, because, you know, they're doing less good at the games, or don't feel like they were getting many stars across the board, uh, still come out on top, and feel good at the end of the day while, while everyone else who was close probably feels maybe a bit uh, slighted at the end but they they felt good during the game because they thought they were winning so overall it sort of net nets out with, with everyone coming away feeling either uh very upset or very okay real happy at the end of the day so yeah, i agree that's always been a good one i you know that's one of the games i played with my entire family as a kid which was very rare uh particularly with dad to get him to figure out how to play a game <laughs> And even today, I mean, he, he struggles with most things, uh, was technology-wise. So I, I think good, good testament to its uh, relative accessibility uh, and understandability as well. And yeah, Jackbox, 100%. I mean, that's the the go-to I used for like work, social things over the last um, you know couple of years. Because as you said, that that these days, most not everyone, but most people have climatized themselves to using a. Uh, a mobile phone, a smartphone touchscreen device to do things. And playing Jackbox on a phone is is so simple uh, and and fun. You know, again, doing just trivia, like murder, triv- murder trivia party, or, you know, you do Drawful, which is kind of Pictionary-esque, or even just some of the silly um, games like Fibbage uh, and um, Gaspionage, like, they all tickle different sort of parts of that that brain from whether it's just a knowledge-based game to a, a comedy-style game to a social deduction-style game. They, they, they have a, a, a nice variety in each little pack. And some of them can be quite complicated, and maybe those are the ones that don't get played as regularly amongst you know the groups. Uh, even the, in my core gamer groups, we tend to steer away from the more convoluted ones um, simply because they tend just to be a bit more thought than what we want to put in when, when we boot up Jackbox. So uh, it's not all, you know, roses and sunshine and, and they're not all perfect winners in, in the pack, but but there's enough there to make it worth it. But it is interesting though, because while they are some of the most accessible and simple games, you know, when you introduce them to a wider group of people who many of which don't play any games, uh, you do realize there are still slight Little, little niggles here and there that people just don't get or get confused by you know they 
they get caught up by maybe there is even though it's not a fast timer they might you know not finish a drawing or put in an input quickly enough or you know they mistype stuff quite regularly because that's just how they text <laughs> when they text each other they people forget that they type you know shorthand or um, just make typos and that autocorrect fix it which maybe uh, doesn't always work in, in Jackbox uh, or they forget to submit stuff um, by pressing those kind of buttons it's really interesting and eye-opening to see despite again this probably being in my opinion one of the easiest to control games that you could play it still is not free of impediments to people who aren't uh, at least somewhat familiar with playing a virtual game which is really interesting because it sort of goes to the topic I suppose of are there just some people that can't get into video games because they're just unable to truly get past these control inputs whether it's on a phone a controller keyboard mouse whatever it may be they're just not mentally in the space where that's something they can surmount i guess um, notwithstanding of course disabilities which genuinely could prevent that type of control we're not i'm not really talking about that i'm more talking someone who's physically and mentally able to do it but just can't wrap their head around it i suppose not to be ageist but maybe um <laughs> again based mostly on my dad older people <laughs> and then at work there's probably an age bias as well to some of the some of the people who are closer to retiring struggling versus the the you know 20 year old graduate who's all over it even if they aren't a gamer <laughs> well thanks zach we just lost the gray nomad fan base of our podcast <laughs> we're never getting them back again my apologies <laughs> It ultimately, I think, comes down to the need to walk people through how things work. I think I think most people can learn how to play things like Jackbox. I think, as you mentioned, yes, the majority of the inputs are pretty simple. I think often people can get confused about, oh, you have to click submit or you have to do this or that on your phone to ensure you do it successfully. But And I think some people might take a lot longer to learn than others. But I think it ultimately just comes down to... Maybe you have to show someone a few more times than you would someone our generation, for example, whereas for a lot of our friends, we probably could just give them the log, the website details for jackbox.tv and tell them, oh, you get out your phone, you go to the URL and you put the code in and away you go and generally they can get a hang of it. But maybe someone who's of an older generation or hasn't really been exposed to online mediums and aren't, yes, they have a smartphone, but mainly use it to text and call, you might have to tell them, oh, so this is how you do this, this is how you do that, and it's a longer, prolonged process. And yes, this could ultimately be insurmountable in some situations. Like, for example, if it is a a sort of work bonding event and it might be a one-off, oh, let's try Jackbox, you might not have the time to, or the really, not even the time, you might not really have the ability to do that if it's everyone's logging on at the same time and it's, the sort of event where, oh, we got to th- get things moving, we got to get things going, and there's one person lagging behind. I think the sad reality is they might just be left behind. But fundamentally, I can't agree and say that, oh, there's just people that don't get it. Like, they, they just aren't cool enough to... I know that's not what you were saying, but, oh, yeah, they aren't just... They just like, can't... They don't understand the greatness of video games. They'll never get it. There's nothing for them. Like, they're just going to be left out in the cold rain and while we're inside enjoying our wicked video games. I think for a lot of people, it's just 
some people just find technology intimidating. They find gaming intimidating. And because of that intimidation, they shy away from trying to learn, trying to understand how it works. And yes, you might have to hold their hand a bit more than others, but I think ultimately you can get to the same destination, which is enjoying some sick video games. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, uh, as a, as a big board gamer as well, I, I definitely know it's it's not like a problem that's even exclusive to video games. Exactly. Like, uh, so, yeah, some board games, uh, you you lose people by the time you 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 know you open the manual. The rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a dice. It's like, oh, I'm going to go do the washing now. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much like, and, and it shows them what's popular, right? Like, it's it's why stuff like. Uh, you know, Cards Against Humanity and Code Names are so popular because, like, you can you can sort of get the rules done very, very quickly, and it's like you just need to play with some cards, and that's about it. But uh, yeah, no, I think you are right. There, there is certainly a um, it, it's almost like it's not that the games aren't for anyone. It's almost how much time do you need to to put into a person to help them understand it? Um, notwithstanding, I don't think that can apply to every game. I'm not going to be able to get my mum playing Dark Souls. I can't even get myself playing Dark Souls, so uh, with, with enough explanation. But uh, yeah, no, good good, um, good points. Now, one thing I'm curious about, have you, has there ever been anyone in your you know life or time that you've, you've really wanted to try and get into a game or just gaming in general and you, you've made a crack, you know, made them a few recommendations? Uh, and if so, how did, how does it, how's it gone? Um, was it successful, not successful? You know, keen to keen to hear about if you have such an experience. Yeah, so I've kind of had that experience recently, but also not really in that last year a friend of mine, she was interested in getting Nintendo Switch for Animal Crossing when Animal Crossing was blowing up, I guess March, April last year, and she was asking oh, for recommendations on games to play, though she's not particularly a gamer, but in reality, she had already decided what game she wanted. She wanted Animal Crossing. She wanted New Super, or she wanted a two D Mario game. So I told her I'll get New Super Mario Brothers U. That's good. So she got that. She got Animal Crossing. She played for a bit. I don't actually know how much she played of the Switch in the end, but I don't think it's something she does regularly. I don't think it turned her into a quote unquote pro gamer. But it very much shows there's moments in a lot of people's lives that. They feel that, oh, gaming something they want to give a go. Gaming something they might have joined, they might have enjoyed in the past. They might have enjoyed when they were a kid with their siblings or it's just something they've enjoyed when they went to a friend's place. And I think the last two years have very much, I guess, hammered home the idea of, well, if you have a lot of spare time, well, what are you going to do with that spare time? Yes, you can pick up hobbies, you can learn to knit, you can bake, but gaming's a pretty good way to use time to unwind, to have a bit of fun. So there's definitely games out there that resonate with people. I think, yeah, that's probably not the best example because there was already a, they were already aware of what sort of games they wanted to play. So I haven't really ever had that situation where someone's come to me and said, oh, the Nintendo Switch sounds pretty neat. What games would you, I've never really played games before. What would you recommend? I had a friend the other week, uh, who is a bit of a PC gamer. I think he has a PS4 or his brother did anyway, but he decided he'll buy a Switch and he asked for game recommendations and myself and another friend, we recommended him a few games like Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, like Breath of the Wild and just 
the games you'd recommend to a gamer who were thinking about getting to the Switch. And interestingly enough, he didn't think that Breath of the Wild was anything that outstanding, but really enjoyed Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battles. So I think, yes, not, not an example of a non-gamer getting to gaming, but I think also shows the idea that really no one fits a particular box of, oh, this person's a pro gamer, they're going to enjoy X game, or this person's never played a game in their life, they're only going to enjoy this range of games. I think even people with no experience, it's probably going to be particular games that might resonate with. Like, it's not just going to be ones that are simple to pick up and play. You might show them something and they might get that moment of revelation of, oh, I never knew gaming could be like this. I didn't know gaming could provide these experiences. And, like, I haven't necessarily directly experienced that happen, but I think just from talking to a lot of people and reading things on reading Twitter and online forums, I definitely do think that that does happen. How about yourself, Zach? Have you experienced anything along those lines? You know, it's a really, really good point because I think, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll talk a bit about Animal Crossing in a, in a moment because that's, that's a feature of a, a few people uh, who got into gaming, I, not only in the last year, but throughout my life. Um, but your point around how it's not always something that's obvious, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is a good entry-level game. You know, we, we throw this to people who we're trying to get interested in, in the hobby. Every now and then it'll be, you know, someone gets super into something that is just, you, you would you would normally think is, is, is more for your seasoned gamer, just, you know, if you weren't thinking too hard, I suppose. MMOs come to mind a lot with this, where there's just so many people... I don't know, maybe personally, but I've definitely, you know, know as friends of friends uh, or I met in MMOs to an extent um, where that was the game or the game that got them into gaming, right? I'm sure Mm -hmm. you might have had similar experiences with WoW during your times playing that. But, you know, those games are, you know, if you look at them at face value, quite intense, you know, number crunchy, lots of skills at the bottom of the screen, um, you know, interfaces and HUDs with lots of things to click on and do. You know, depending on the MMO, you're probably moving around in a 3D environment as well. But, you know, some people just really click, whether it's maybe the social element that uh, really gets them into it, or the fact that once you sort of get past the bulky exterior, you can you can sort of just master your own uh, class or your character and your role in a, in a, in a team and, and just sort of perfect that, you know. It becomes a bit of a pattern what buttons you need to mash to... to to get the desired outcome, which I, I always think is a really good example of where, you know, you see some people like, you know, whether they're older or just, you know, people who just don't play that many games suddenly picking up an MMO and just that it can become, you know, almost their entire, or not, let's say, well, I was going to say second life first and then I'm like, well, that's literally a game. So I don't know if that's the right term. But, um, <laughs> and it's also an MMO technically. Yeah, correct. Yeah, the MMO, not the RPG part, but definitely an MMO. Definitely an MMO, yeah, but... Yeah, it, it does become a big part of their lives. Um, again, I don't know if that's something you saw in WoW at all when you were, were still playing it. Oh, definitely. Like It's something I saw in a number of guilds I was a member of because I played WoW sort of in spurts. So there was a couple of times, I think I played WoW about over five or six year span, but it wasn't sort of constantly playing every day during those five, six years. It was moments that I'd play for months on end and then I'd drop it and not and not subscribe for maybe four or five, six months or until the next expansion or whatnot, and then really get back into it. But in every sort of moment I played WoW, which 
spanned from the Burning Crusade era to about, oh, technically Warlords of Draenor, though I didn't really get into that as much as I did the previous games. But I digress. There's always a type of people that clearly that was the one game for them. Like, they wouldn't necessarily call themselves gamers. They wouldn't play any other game. It's just they enjoyed WoW, and often it was for the social aspect. Perhaps they played with their wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other that happened in a lot of cases in some guilds and maybe it was just something they enjoyed doing together maybe that's how they met maybe it's just what they enjoyed doing outside of work because one of the I guess parts of MMOs is often the addictive quality of it and yes it's a social environment but I often saw a lot of people that that was the one thing they did outside of work as in they would always be online they'd go to work they might work their nine to five job. And then outside of that, they would always be on WoW. They'd be planning raids. They'd be doing daily quests. They'd be doing instances and raids. There'd just be a whole manner of different things they'd be doing. And it became part of their life. So I, I definitely think that that's an aspect of MMOs that transcend a lot of gamers in that. I think there's lots of console gamers that gaming something they do maybe a couple of times a week, maybe once a week once a week maybe once a month but or they'll slowly chip away at a particular game but there's those online games not just mmos but online competitive games that have that quality that it is something that you need to constantly do it's something you need to constantly chip away at and it becomes ingrained in your life and i think it it's very easy to get addicted addicted to things i've been addicted to wow clearly and i think it very much those games feed on that element of your personality and really hook you and I think it is there is a particular type of person that gets sucked into it more than others and there's various reasons some people find it as an escape some people just do it because it's a way to be social with new people and like that that's their that's how they enjoy socializing and that's not a bad thing that's a good thing it's good that those game environments offer them the environment to do that in yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about addiction, that obviously rings uh, a part of my brain that thinks of uh, of mobile games, right? And they often are, a, you know, a good entry point uh, or, or a bad entry point, depending on which way you want to cut it. Uh, for a lot of people in the gaming, obviously, things like Candy Crush were a massive phenomenon uh, to where, you know, people of all sorts are playing it. Words with friends. Uh, I definitely had my mum ask me to play that with her, which was probably the one and only time my mum has asked me to play a specific <laughs> game that I was not playing. And things like that. Flappy Bird obviously had its its time in the sun, etc. Uh, these sort of you know cultural touchstones, which due to again the fact we all now have these devices in our pockets, the touchscreen is relatively simple to use, and you probably mastered it in theory to just function the phone, uh, and the free or cheap nature of them, um, and as you said, then just sprinkle in some some intentionally addictive, uh, you know, elements to the design. Certainly has captivated a lot of people, and, you know, it's not all bad. I mean, I think, again, while, you know, I think in the long run, history will look back at this the, some some of these earlier mobile, well, not early these days, mobile games is quite a mature sort of industry, but we'll look back at it and see that where there was a lot of uh, two you know, manipulative, too money, sort of hungry, uh, you know, styles of, of structures to their games uh, and then probably will get regulated out to an extent, like we're already seeing a little bit uh, with loot boxes, for example, mm-hmm. in certain parts of the world. But, you know, at the same time, it is introducing more people to games 
and, and people that wouldn't otherwise. And I think that's largely a good thing because you never know who's going to come up with a the next cool, good, fun idea of for a video game. Uh, and it's certainly going to be a lot more likely that that person will, will come up with said idea and, and even maybe put it into action uh, if they have played games. Because I think, you know, if you're not playing games, you're probably not ever going to think about making your own game or, or trying to get uh, a game of yours made. Uh, so in some respects, um, while these sort of addicting games can be quite, you know, harmful, uh, the fact that they still capture people, they you know have people having fun with a game of some sort, I think is, a, is in some ways the silver lining to those, say, predatory sort of practices that that's occasionally implemented and to be fair they're not all predatory again from my time with world with friends i didn't find that to be too too stressful for the most part and then too money hungry but i yeah i touched on my mum there and she's she was actually a really good case study for me because you know as a, i didn't have um any siblings of my own age growing up so my parents uh were people i often tried to, to get to play games with me or interested in games uh mostly unsuccessfully uh but Mum, I was able to get into, and I think I mentioned on the show before, Animal Crossing, um, mm-hmm. when the Wii days, uh, mostly, because uh, that was, I think, just the system that was the most easy for her to wrap her head around, you know, prior to that, 64 and GameCube were a bit of a, a bit tricky with the, the controllers, whereas the Wii remote was a bit more simple. Um, and yeah, ever since she's played every single one of them and plays them for hundreds and hundreds of hours. So, you know, that was the that was the one that clicked with her and obviously clicks with a lot of people as their entry point into gaming that we saw last year with New Horizons. But yeah, other stuff I throw at her just doesn't click as well, other than the occasional mobile game. Like I've thrown Nintendogs at her, I've thrown uh she was okay she played Picross for a little bit, but nothing quite has captured the her mind like Animal Crossing did. I think for a lot of people, for better or worse, there's going to just be that one game that resonates with them and they aren't a dedicated gamer. It's not something they might see themselves doing regularly. So if they find a game that they enjoy, like that's it for them. They don't need another game and that's the one they want to continuously go back to and because they know they enjoy it, they they get become familiar with it and that's what they want to do. And you can try as hard as you want to suggest other things like, oh, yeah, this game's similar or, or this game does... A similar thing to Animal Crossing, like, oh, look at Stardew Valley. It's like Animal Crossing, but you get to do a lot more things. You might enjoy it, but and you give it to your mum, for example, and she could go play it for a little bit and just respond to you and say, well, Zach, yeah, it's it's not bad, but it's, it's not Animal Crossing. I'd prefer to go back and do what I know. I'd prefer to go play the game that I understand at a distinct level because I've put hundreds of hours in. It's similar to I have, there's a family friend I have who's, He's a friend of my parents, and the one game that he really enjoyed was Dawn of War, the original one. I don't particularly know how he got onto it in the first place. I, I think he's, both his sons played it, and that's how he got into it. But for whatever reason, that's just one game he played constantly, and he wanted nothing to do with the sequels. He didn't like Dawn of War 2. Don't think he even tried 3. It's just it was always he went back and played Dawn of War, and I think... Eventually, he got into things like Clash of Clans and that sort of thing on his phone, but it was always, like, he's not a gamer, but there were particular games he enjoyed, and as much as it might have been attempted, you were never going to broaden his horizons. Like, that's just what he enjoyed, and the other ones just 
didn't do it for him. And I think that's okay as well. But I think ultimately one of the aspects we wanted to talk about today were potential, is there a gateway game for everyone? And I think if you think about that term, it depends on what you mean by a gateway. Do you mean that is there a game for everyone that will turn them into gamers like us that will want to hoard games and like try all these different genres and all these different types of games or do you mean a gateway in that you might find the one game that someone says well oh i enjoy that i wouldn't call myself a gamer i'm not going to stay up with industry news i'm not going to buy different consoles or the like but that one game i'm just i'm going to enjoy it and i'll go back to it now and then or maybe a bit more than now and then maybe i'll play it every day but it's only going to be that one game and I'm unlikely to change that habit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the idea of turning everyone into a mass, massive enthusiast or industry advocate is very unlikely or advocate for the medium. But I I reckon you're right. We can probably find a game, at least one game, that most people... Uh, sorry, by that I mean I don't mean like one single game that everyone in the world's going to love. That's that's impossible. But I, I mean, find, you know, if we took each person and actually spent time with them, and it would... You know, sometimes it'll be a very quick, short process, and others it would be a very long and and many many games you probably churn through before you find the one that really clicks, I suppose, or one that does. You know, they're willing to play for fun and they want to play. I think, but I think that is possible. You know, subject to, again to the usual um, accessibility issues that we we won't delve into in detail. Um, but but I think it's very. It can still be a very tricky process because uh, I think the. Games you pick early on could have, you know, the opposite effect, right? If you pick the wrong one, in a sense, right? Like, how long is somebody going to stick with you trying various games with them until they they just kind of conclude that video games are not a thing for them? It, it's hard to... You, you sort of need to nail it pretty early on in the piece or risk losing your, your subject and their interest and their willingness to, to continue on the journey of um, trying out different things to find something they like. It's sort of like a, a picky eater in a sense, you know, like <laughs> they're so, you know, adamant in what they do and don't like that the idea of trying to get, you know, you might get them to the point where getting them to try something is just they're not, they're not willing to do it. And I think it's a real art form to figure out how to make those recommendations you know, as close to spot on or very close to the mark and, you know, at the get-go. And I don't think it's something that I or potentially anyone's really got down pat at this stage. Like even your professional reviewers whose job is to, you know, recommend games or people that work in retail, you know, which I've done for a period of time as well, again, whose job is to an extent to recommend games to, to people that come in looking for them. It's incredibly difficult to to pick the right thing, you know. I've I've definitely you know told the story where you know I've recommended kids who, by all means, you would think like Pokemon, but then or should like Pokemon, but they give them the game and it's it's too hard, too complicated. They they don't like reading as much text as there is, etc. Um, and you just read off the mark. Oh, actually, no, I should have <laughs> should have just stuck with I don't know, like a a platform or something that's very just. Uh, buttons and no no you know text and thought i suppose zach you need to stop going around playgrounds offering people your 3ds with pokemon sun and moon on it it's just not going to work 
look, one day Nintendo or the Pokemon company is going to hire me if I keep doing it. They'll see all the good work I've done and they'll they'll give me a job. <laughs> um, plus, you know, I have to do something to keep the Pokemon brand alive. Otherwise, my, you know, retirement fund that I dumped into Pokemon cards is, is going to go completely down the drain when they devalue at some stage. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's essential. But not only is it, sorry hard to pick the first game i think ordering you know as you're trying to get someone more and more into the hobby so someone you aren't you know trying to find the single game they're into but try and keep them engaged in the hobby the ordering of games can be quite important so you know someone i live with who played a little bit of games when they were a kid but not as much you know during their teenage years or young adult years um i've you know gotten back into gaming because well they live with me they 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 sort of don't have a choice (laughs) Um, (laughs) starting out with certain things works a lot better than others so again starting out with your pokemons and your animal crossings work very very well because they're slow they're all they're turn-based and they're not you know requiring of quick reflexes or anything like that and you can you can take your time and and think uh about what you need to do or in animal crossings case you don't really have to do much if you don't want to um and a good, we're good for like you know progressing then onto you know two D platformers, which uh, require a bit more in terms of timing and action. And you know, I'm not talking about Super Meat Boy. We're obviously talking about more simple stuff like Yoshi and Crafted World or or a Kirby game where there's a lot more leniency as well uh, before then sort of jumping up to Mario. Which I know some people think Mario isn't that super easy, but I mean compared to to say something like a Yoshi or a Kirby game, it's, it's still another step up. And now we're playing uh, It Takes Two, and that's a really interesting one because, uh, you know, while the game is very uh, good in that it gives you, you just as soon as you die, you just respawn, and there's, there's checkpoints every two seconds, which I think is a really important part of that game. The 3D camera has been a real uh, learning point for them because... They just haven't had to grapple with 3D cameras in a, in a real-time sense. You know, again, they might move it around in Pokemon Sword and Shield, but if it's not like they're jumping on platforms and having to move the camera so they can see the next point to move on. And I think had, you know, I restarted with its take two, it would have been a much more frustrating experience uh, and, and maybe to the point where we wouldn't be enjoying it. But because it's been this progressive build of, uh, you know, slow games to platform games that were easy to slightly harder platform games and now for a 3d platformer it's been a successful transition where every step of the way has been enjoyable for for them so i think that's another really you know key part if you are trying to sort of help someone or not help someone but you're trying to get someone into the hobby a bit more than just through one game really think about the order of, of which ones you start with and which ones, you know, when's the right time to jump up to the next complicated thing because, you know, we, we were lucky. We started playing 3D games like Mario 64 when we were in that stage of your your childhood life where you're, you're, you're sort of just in learning mode. Your brain just <laughs> wants to absorb things. Uh, so it was probably a lot easier for us to learn those core controls than it would be who's for for an adult who who isn't familiar with them uh, at at this point in their lives. Uh, you know, sort of similar to how they say it's easier to learn a language when you're very young uh, compared to trying to learn one as an a, adult. 
Exactly. And I think an important part that you touched upon is also playing it with someone. Like, you're introducing them to different games. You're along for the ride. You're, it's not like you're handing someone a Nintendo Switch and Breath of the Wild and then say, go off to your room and have fun. This is an amazing game. You're you're getting experiences that you can play with people like it takes to or even even games that might be single-player games. There's, there's got to be games that you can play together with someone who's not a gamer like things like ace attorney and games adventure games like that but like yes it's a single player input game but those are games that are very that they they would be very easy to play with someone sitting next to you you can get engrossed in the story and the different elements of the experience and you don't necessarily have to be the one controlling the game to enjoy it so there's definitely different experiences for different people and i think but Aside from that, I think a core fundamental aspect of what you just described is you're doing it together. It's it's an activity that... It's not just a solo activity. It's not... We've discussed previously that gaming does have that solitary aspect to it. also has the multiplayer aspect of it. But it also has that cooperative aspect to it that even games that aren't designed purely for um, co-op play, in a lot of cases, you can c- create a co-op experience with it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Co-op's massive, and it, it probably also, like, you can look at how certain games are extremely popular in the world and link it back to the fact that they have a co-op element. I mean, I, I'm thinking, you know, of, of the landscape of MOBAs and um, Battle Arena-style shooting games and, and even Battle Royales. They all either got specifically a team co-op, you know, is their focus, or a, 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 if not, they have a team co-op mode. Uh, option in their in their core game and i think that's massive because you know as toxic as people can be particularly strangers in those games when you do play it with friends or people that you trust and aren't gonna tear your head off because you uh decided to go snorlax and jungle in pokemon unite which is just a bad choice but you know <laughs> uh you, you explained it to them in a calm and not aggressive manner even if you lose, it's quite fun to lose and learn with friends. Um, if you if they have that patience, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's that that is largely why those games have been so successful and popular because they they also fall into that category of there are a lot of people I know who like League of Legends is just the game they play and they don't really play anything else, uh, and some some cases they've never played anything else. But you know, all their friends started playing, so they gave it a whirl and. You know, six years later, they're still playing free day for their dailies or whatever it is. So, yeah, co-op is, I think, a massive one uh, that could make or break your experience because if you're not, you know, a patient teacher, I reckon you'll probably also turn that person off playing games forever, (laughs) most likely. Oh, exactly, because they don't have that hook that we do. Like, there's going to be some games that a friend of mine might convince me, oh, you need to buy X game and play it with me online and they might be very insistent on it i might do it we might do a session together and then for whatever reason i might decide oh that wasn't very enjoyable i didn't enjoy sea of thieves or oh, i didn't enjoy vermintide 2 warhammer or just i actually enjoyed both of those games so those aren't really personal examples but you know what i mean there's going to be moments that someone convinced me to play a game with them i did didn't enjoy it and it's not going to put me off gaming forever. But if it's someone that's not a gamer, it's someone that doesn't identify as a gamer and 
they feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing this. I'm just, I'm just experiencing this. I'm just playing this with a friend because they find it enjoyable, but it doesn't really do anything for me. And like my experience with it has reinforced my perception of gaming or this particular game or just, I guess it's reinforced my view of gaming in general and I don't enjoy it and I'm not going to try it again. So you're exactly right. That dimension of it is important. That dimension, you you can't ignore that dimension. So while we've sort of talked about how, you know, it's not necessarily a one-size-fit-all and there isn't a specific game that's going to capture everyone's, you know, love. Uh, Otherwise, that game would probably be making billions and billions of dollars uh, and and we'd be number one Steam's most played or whatever at this very point in time. I figure, well, let's, let's take a crack at trying to sort of talk through some of the games we think are good gateway games uh, that people could look to if they were trying to get a friend, family member, or otherwise into the medium. Um, and I might, you know, we've talked about a few of them, so we'll quickly list off the ones we've already touched on. Again, Jackbox, multiplayer-wise, is a, is a big tick. Uh, Animal Crossing, uh, even if it's not the, the bee's knees as it was back in March last year, it's certainly a fun, chill game to to play and easy to understand if it's a person that doesn't need a lot of objectives and doesn't even want a lot of objectives in a game, um, but more just a, a place to hang out and do not much. Um, I think it's another really good one to, to start off with. I think another theme or a concept that's really good in a game to make it easy to, to get into is, is short loops from, you know, failure to try and again, whether it's multiplayer or otherwise. Um, so again, while, again, it's, it's popularity is, is maybe not at its peak. Uh, Fall Guys, I think, is a really good example where you can, you can fail and just get straight back into another game. And it's fun and silly enough that I think anyone can just keep trying, failing until they get to the point where like, oh yeah, like I'm, you know, getting better at this. I'm not finishing 60th anymore. I'm finishing, you know, 45, <laughs> for example. And, I, and that, that sort of, you know, is what I was saying is good about its takes too, because the checkpoint system is so frequent that uh, it's not frustrating to fail. Uh, and anything where there's minimal frustration from losing or failing, I think is really helpful in getting someone into stuff because, you know, nobody really wants their first experience with something new to be overly frustrating, I, I find. Exactly. And I, well, yes, we mentioned it earlier, but I think that's also why Mario Party is a good example of this in that, yes, it does require some ability to conquer a lot of the mini games, but there's a lot of them that are just chance, luck-based affairs. And also just the sheer randomness of what can happen on those game boards ensures that you can be trailing, you can be coming last, but you could luck out, you could get a chance time, you could swap your all your stars and coins with the player coming first, you could just manage to get enough coins and steal stars from people. There's enough mechanics to turn things around and ensure you, you're competitive even though you might not even know what you're doing really and you can even win when you're not knowing what you're doing, which I think is a interest, is an important facet of getting people into gaming, getting people involved in gaming in that if you choose something that like they can find success in per se, they they can experience that joy of, oh, I won a round of Fall Guys or, oh, I won this mini game in Mario Party, like first one I've won that 
that gives them something to celebrate. It, it reinforces to them that, oh, games are fun. Like, I can succeed. I can win in a game. And I think that's what games like Mario Party do well. Yeah, 100%. And and as much as it's probably done for manipulative purposes, it's actually why some of those you know mobile games can be kind of good if again as gateway games mm. if you know you you are guiding them around the the monetization aspects you know like i, I played clash royale for a while uh, and i think clash royale has a fun core game there i mean if, if it didn't people wouldn't play it but it's a you know if you say hey to a friend let's both get into clash royale give it a shot it, it's no not a bad place to start because it's simple uh it can teach people concepts of like you know basic rts slash strategy concepts of like okay well this unit is, does this and this unit does that and figuring out that different types of units can be good or bad against others uh when you only have to think about three right versus or a handful versus um you know something like age of empires or starcraft where, where you've got hundreds of units across uh, a very dynamic <laughs> um map uh, as a you know you re- reminded yourself playing a- aoe4 over <laughs> over the last yep. week or so all the hot keys and build orders and all oh, right i have to upgrade my units or otherwise they are going to die and that's not good yeah exactly but it can be a good stepping stone from you know clash royale to whether it's a jrpg or whether it's you know into uh, a more slightly fleshed out strategy game or an auto chess kind of thing uh it it can all be the building blocks to like you know learning some fundamental concepts and then moving on to the next thing which is a bit more complicated and then this thing adds in another element and just moving up and up and up until you know maybe one day they are playing um you know starcraft 2 or brood war probably now given the way things have gone with that thing in uh um, in the competitive space, and they're, they're flying out to Seoul to verse uh, the best uh, Korean or Chinese players or whatever in the, in the world, and in in, the, in an RTS, probably not. But you know, it's it's a, you can always dream. Dare to dream a name for that. Yeah. <laughs> what you just said does um, bring something to mind. In that, I guess we've moved the topic on, and we're talking about these. Oh, I guess I use the term again: these gateway games into what you suggest to someone or what you think is a good way to get them into gaming. And it does make me think that maybe Jackbox isn't particularly a good game to get people into gaming in that, yes, it's a video game. Yes, you can have fun with it. Yes, it might break down perceptions of what a game is and how you can enjoy games. But the the nature of the game is that it's not necessarily going to teach you those skills you just mentioned. It's not like a Clash Royale that it's going to build you up into a elite RT has strategy gamer it's oh you can use a phone or oh you can draw things on your phone and you can answer quizzes on your phone which there's many quiz applications on phones or websites that you wouldn't really call a video game and people enjoy and yeah like you know what I mean and because I was thinking of when you brought up the question I was thinking about what games would be accessible to people or good entry level games and I was thinking well Just Dance is one of those games but when you think about Just Dance, yes, it's a video game. Yes, a lot of people enjoy it. Well, it wouldn't be a yearly release for, what, the last 15 years if people didn't enjoy it. But would you say that Just Dance is the sort of game that is necessarily going to get people into other video games? I'd probably argue not necessarily because I guess you can make the argument that, yeah, there's fundamentals of setting up a video game and using a console that might 
that you're teaching these people and then they can then move on to other games. But when it comes to the idea of, well, you've enjoyed Just Dance, are you going to now try a Mario game or are you just going to wait for the next Just Dance or the next DLC for more songs for Just Dance? Like, I, I, I guess my point is, I think the argument can be made that games like Clash Royale have the ability to broaden your horizons and you'll get to that point where you might want to move on to something quite different but also similar at the same time whereas there's those more accessible experiences that you could argue are dead ends yeah it's a really interesting point to look at i'd say you're right yeah you know of the people who i introduced not introduced to games but we got to play Jackbox who don't normally play games. I doubt many of them are going, oh, I like this Jackbox thing. I like this video games thing. What's next? Uh, probably none <laughs> did. Um, I, I think it. I, I think the only value it could have is either, one, as you said, it's, okay, well, this person's now bought a device for video game playing to play like a Just Dance or whatever, and now they might say, well, what else can I do with this box that I spent, you know, 500 bucks on or whatever it is? Uh, and they might then explore but uh the other aspect is i guess you know it's if you just have that kind of person who's like i hate video games i don't like video games i'll never enjoy a video game uh if you get them to enjoy a game (laughs) well maybe you can that's the turning point of like you can at least say well you like that you had fun that one night when we played you know jackbox uh at a a friend's house or uh we all played some just dance or sing star whatever it might be like that so what's to say you wouldn't like other things if you gave it a shot it's it's you know it's it's, it feels like a bit like a a moment out of a tv show where someone's making a good point to it to a character i suppose um i don't know why this would be the the plot of a tv show but if it was (laughs) uh but that's the only situation where i could see it being valued is it's really cracking that misconception that hey video games aren't for me i don't enjoy any video games but you're right, it, it could just stop there. It could just be, okay, well, Just Dance is the thing I do, and I get that every year, and I you know, hope to God that a new Katy Perry song's on there because that's what I like about Just Dance. <laughs> and if it's not, I, um, I, I get very upset and leave it a one-star review on Amazon. One thing that I'm also excited about to think about as, as games continue to evolve is, is just seeing how new ways of play will create more and more ways for people to get into gaming uh you know for example vr's and what i consider to be it's 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 burgeoning into a a proper platform obviously it's it's got there's five or six vr headsets these days and they have it's a good selection of games and some of them do quite well financially i don't you know dismiss that but to me this this is the second or third stepping stone out of maybe 10 for what vr is going to become in in the long run you know, we're going to go from headsets with motion tracking to to something closer to Star Trek's hollow deck, I suspect, at some point. But I think, you know, there's definitely a potential there for people, that being the thing that finally tips them into trying out games. Uh, I know, you know, all of my family, when I got a PSVR, I, I made everyone put it on and try, um, like, some of those demos, like the the shark tank one and the the mafia one and i can't remember what it's called that playstation vr like compilation disc effectively that you had to pay for everyone i know had a fun time and again it was probably equivalent to the fun time you have on a a theme park ride versus a 
a game you want to continue playing again and again and again. Uh, but, you know, we are going to get to a point where there will be fun VR games that are so easy to control that anyone can jump in and, and have a good time. And, and, you know, I definitely think particularly of uh, elderly or or disabled people who, when we get to the stage where it is kind of like the hollow deck and it can kind of feel like, oh, I'm actually back in my 20-year-old body and I can do things that I can't do anymore. I think that's going to be like everyone plays some sort of game because why wouldn't you <laughs> at that stage when, when it's uh, effectively a true alternative reality style experience? Um, so, you know, I don't think we're going to get there for a long time, but I am excited to see as we experiment with new control methods, new mediums of, of game playing, new genres as well as they pop up. Uh, I don't think we, you know, you don't think new genres pop up very often, but I feel like, you know, you definitely get these sub, 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 sub genres that, you know, evolve or merge genres that we hadn't seen before. So, and they could be the thing that clicks with someone. So I think it's going to get more and more, uh, there's going to be more and more options to get. To, to throw at people and more and more examples of good gateway quote-unquote games as time goes on. At least I hope there will be. I do find the topic very interesting about what is a game, and I think that's very much what you just touched upon in that it is an ever-changing medium and you can make arguments and you could debate people about whether potential virtual reality technology is a game or is it something else? Is it transcending video games? And on your point about different genres emerging, I 100% agree because who would have thought before it came out that Untitled Goose Game was a like a, a concept of a game? Like what? Who thought? Who would have thought that would be a genre of games and things like Goat Simulator as well? That yes, it, it's called Simulator. People would say it's in the simulation genre, but it's not really a traditional simulation game. It's something entire. It was something entirely new at the time. So. It's definitely an evolving medium and it's always pushing the boundaries of what you can consider a game. And before we go off on on a massive tangent, because I think that probably deserves an entire episode in itself, what is a game. But I guess going back to a facet of what you started talking about VR is that about control inputs. And what I was thinking about was there are definitely some genres that are more accessible than others for acting as a gateway game like for example you're not going to find someone who's never really played games before and give them a game pad and up um boot up street fighter 5 and say let's go let's go at it i've played 100 hours of this game you've never played it before don't worry i'll go easy on you but let's go and then you're trying to teach them combos and oh yeah this is how you throw a hadouken and they aren't just getting it because from a personal example, I can't even... I don't really know how combos work. I don't even know what a quarter circle really is when it comes to fighting games. And <laughs> I'm someone who's a gaming nerd. So there's definitely complexities around gaming controllers and game pads that... Well, that's a topic that's nothing new. Nintendo identified that and that's why they went with the Wii mode when it came to the Wii. They decided that you can read in interviews and the like that the reason they went with that design was... They wanted a ubiquitous shape. They wanted something that was like a TV remote that everyone had held in their hands before because they understood that that is a barrier. That That's a quite a high barrier, actually, I think, I'd argue, that like you said at the very 
well, like you said previously, we grew up with these control methods. We are we grew up with Wazard on a keyboard and a mouse. We grew up with bizarre controllers like the Nintendo 64 controller that, as all the jokes go, was made for people with three hands. Like, that was just normal for us. We quickly understood how it works and we navigated those things. But it's a lot harder for people who didn't have that experience to just get thrown a controller and figure out how it works. So... I think I echo your sentiments. I think it's quite exciting as to what VR and VR headsets and VR in general can bring to that sphere of gaming. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Or, or are we already in a VR headset to, and we're we're just playing a game right now, constantly? Yes, and I, I think that's possible because if you were in a virtual reality, you would definitely be listening to the Blowing Cartridges podcast and you'd be definitely tuning in to see what cartridge we're blowing every fortnight, though it's been a bit longer than a fortnight this time, but we don't talk about that too much. It's a glitch in the game's code that causes it to sometimes not be every fortnight, so uh, blame the lazy devs. <laughs> Oi, I'm one of those people, you don't blame me, but if you, did, <laughs> if you did want to blame me, Zach, or you wanted to blame yourself, or you wanted to blame the podcast, where would you find us? Yeah, I mean, there's a multiple places on the on the web that you can find us. You know, Twitter, Facebook at Blowcart Pod, or if you want to email us, uh, blowingcartridge at gmail dot com. Either Brendan or I will respond, uh, depending on the medium. Uh, but if you specifically want to reach out to just me for whatever reason, because I, you know, you know that I figured out the secret that we're in the Matrix. Uh, and you need to wipe me out or something, I don't know. Um, you can find me at Egerino, E-G-G-R-I-N-O, on Twitter. Uh, and Brendan, where could someone reach out to you and uh, give you some pills uh, of the red or blue variety? <laughs> Just don't send me ivermectin, but you can find me at Tamazoid <laughs> on Twitter. Yes, and uh, until hopefully two weeks from now, or <laughs> definitely not later, hopefully, We'll, uh, you know, put this cartridge down and uh, start searching for our next one uh, in our dusty pile of cartridges sitting in the corner. So thanks, everyone, and, uh, you know, see you then. Thanks, everyone, as always. Hope you enjoyed the episode and tune in next time. Oh damn! Now, now you're talking to TV shows. I'm, I'm, I'll cut this part out when I edit. But now I just want to go on a tangent and talk about the tester. Do you remember the tester, the reality? Ah, uh, is that the the, the PlayStation? Yeah, one? where they were recruiting people to be game yeah. testers. Oh god! I was rewatching uh, clips of the season with Eager Raptor probably like a month or two ago. So yes, <laughs> I, I remember that tester very well. Oh, <sighs> those were the days. Yeah. Were they good days? I don't know. <laughs> what are we actually going to pivot to now? Because oh, we're not going to talk about the tester in Ego Raptor. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, we can put the, we can put this in the bloopers.